As you get settled this morning, would you open a Bible with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, toward the end of our Bibles. I would love it if you would have a Bible open or on, scrolled over, turned to 2 Timothy chapter 1. There will be a, just a few passages of Scripture projected on the screen behind me. We're going to read from our Bibles, really two key passages, if you would like to mark the second one. Acts chapter 9, 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to go back and forth there throughout the morning. And as you're getting prepped to read along with us from God's holy word, let me echo the welcome to all of you. Thank you for being here. Finish what was started. That has been our theme. That has been our anthem throughout this God-given year. It is the... First Sunday of the last month of this year. And in a wide variety of ways, for 11 months, we have looked at this theme. Finish what was started. For my part, I would like to finish with you over the course of the next four Sundays in Paul's second letter to Timothy. And there are many reasons for that, but one of them that we will return to over and over again is the simple statement, the profound sentiment behind a very simple statement that he makes in some of his very last recorded words, I have finished the race. I want to be able to say that. I want you to be able to say that. You and I both know plenty of people who are not running the race as defined by God. They're not living life the way their Creator meant it to be. I want them to be able to say that. And I'd encourage you to think about friends, family members, co-workers, neighbors who you know are not, as of this morning, able to say that. How can we help them even over the course of this last month of the year? This is what life is all about. To recognize where we have come from, why we are here, what happens beyond what we are able to see with our physical eyes and with God's help by Christ's strength to be able to say whatever the rest of my time on this earth holds. I know whom I have believed. And he is the one that has saved me and enabled me to run the race. And at the end of my time, if I am given moments to be able to reflect on where I have been and whose I am and, and whose I have, who I have lived for, to be able to say at the end where this man who is writing this letter was, I have finished. I have finished the race. 
What would be more meaningful in those last moments of life than that? The author of this letter was a Hebrew of Hebrews. That's how he describes himself in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 5. You want an example of a descendant of Abraham and everything that descendant of Abraham is to be in the first century A.D. Look at this man known by his Hebrew name, Saul. He was a young man when Jesus of Nazareth walked the earth. About four years after Jesus was crucified, this young man began to have sharp interactions with people who believed that that man from Nazareth was the Lord's anointed one, the long-awaited Messiah. And Saul didn't believe it. In fact, in his own words, he said, I myself was convinced that I ought. If, if anyone was equipped and, and zealous enough and, and in a position to, to do something to stamp out this false teaching, these false hopes, these heretical beliefs, it, it, it was me. I was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so. I, I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I said, those men and those women who, who claim to be of the way, as they say, I believed that they ought to die. They're blasphemers against God. The Messiah has not come. Jesus from Nazareth most certainly was not him. We've got to stop this by any means necessary. And so I punished them often. In all the synagogues, I tried to make them blaspheme. This man was... A torturer of Christians. Fueled by raging fury against them. I, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And this man from Tarsus, who fit right in Jerusalem, he went all over the world. But something happened. He at one point spent two years traveling to foreign cities. Going about 1,400 miles. And that wasn't the only one. He, he spent another three years very shortly after that traveling about 
thousand miles. He didn't fly. He didn't fly down the road on cruise control at, at 70 miles per hour. No, even after this, he spent more than four years traveling 3,300 miles. Eventually, he got it in his mind, I want to go to Rome. He traveled more than 2,300 miles just to go to Rome. This man went to many foreign cities. But something fundamental in his life changed. In fact, that's what drove him on these long, long journeys. And if your Bible is open there to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, you can see what it was. The man who was a torturer of Christians, the, 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 the man who was fueled by raging fury, believing that Jesus of Nazareth was an absolute imposter and, and all who would follow him need to be brought to some sort of reckoning, even, even maybe losing their lives. Notice how he describes himself about 30 years later in 2 Timothy 1 verse 1. Paul, now known to us by his Roman name, an apostle, an ambassador, someone sent of Messiah Jesus. By the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. What in the world happened? What changed? What race now was Saul running in a very different direction? Why did he have a heart to travel so far to so many foreign cities? Not in order to persecute Christians, but to tell both countrymen and non-Jews, Gentiles, you need to understand who Jesus from Nazareth was because he is the ultimate sign from your Creator that God has a will for your life that will revolves around His Son, Jesus Christ, and His Son is going to come again and usher us all before the throne of Almighty God above. What happened? How did He try and help a young man named Timothy? And how can He help you and me in this last month of the year Finish what was started. Would you read 2 Timothy chapter 1 with me? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, 
as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the sake of the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Messiah Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. This man who devoted his early years of adult life to stamping out Christianity now travels thousands and thousands and thousands of miles to share good news revolving around Jesus. And He's got it in his mind that he wants to carry it all the way to Rome. He wants people even in Caesar's city to know who the real king of kings is. And now here he is. We heard it in Rome. Not in a beautiful Mediterranean seaside villa. He's in prison. 
And he knows, I'm probably not going to get out of this prison. As he looks back on the race of his life, what an incredible start out of the starting block he had. A Hebrew of Hebrews, the best teachers, fitting right in among the most influential movers and shakers all around him within Judaism. Very few doors that will not open when he knocks. Compelled, I ought to do many things against imposters, false children of God. What happened? What changed? Everything so that now as he takes the last steps... Able to see the finish line just before him as he stretches and strains and does everything he can. Not just to finish what was started, but to finish well to the glory of God. As so many of his ancestors had done, how did he get here? And how does he help us 2,000 years later? I'd suggest to you it begins with input from heaven. We heard that in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11. I was appointed. Well, who appointed him? And to what was he appointed? Open your Bibles with me. Keeping a marker right there in 2 Timothy 1. Open your Bibles back with me to our second key passage of the morning. Acts chapter 9. What is it that he has in mind? What sort of input from heaven was there for him to be running one direction and to be absolutely turned around recognizing I was going the wrong way? The the God-honoring finish line is over here and I was running that way. How did all of that happen? Is your Bible open to Acts chapter 9? Begin reading with me in verse 1 where Luke, a disciple of Jesus, tells us, calling this man by his Hebrew name, Saul, still breathing threats and murder. Understand, we're going from 2 Timothy to Acts 9 about 30 years into the past. This man is still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus So that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Jesus from Nazareth had died on a cross four years before this. And yet here is this light. He would describe it in 
other places as brighter than the noonday sun. He hears a voice. He doesn't know who the voice is from. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. What turned this man around? Well, it, it was input from heaven. Keep your hand right there. Go back with me to our key text in 2 Timothy chapter 1. What turned this man's life around? It was not simply input from heaven. There have been lots of various kinds of input from heaven from cover to cover in our Bible. But what turned this man's life around was the purpose and grace of a Savior. Not the wrath and justice of an executioner. That's what he deserved. And he knew it. But what fueled this man for the rest of his life all the way to his last moments in Rome was the purpose and grace of a Savior. Hear him in verse 9 of 2 Timothy 1. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel, the good news by the power of God, who saved us, saved us. Timothy, he saved me, he has saved you, and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Keep your hand there. Let's go back to Acts chapter 9. We left him 30 years before in Damascus, three days without sight neither eating nor drinking. Let's pick it up in verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to Ananias in a vision, Ananias, and, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. Saul from Tarsus. Look for him. Don't run away from him. Don't hide from him. Look for him. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor, is, is blind. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man the word that comes to Ananias' mind about the sword of man and the sword of deeds that this man does, it is evil. I've, I've heard how much evil this man is responsible for. 
What he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here, he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord cuts Ananias off right there and says, go. He's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias goes. He enters the house. He lays his hands on blind Saul of Tarsus. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may gain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. What turned this man's life around? Well, it was input from heaven. It was the purpose and grace of a Savior. Number three, it was a cleansed conscience. We heard him use that language in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. 30 years later, 30 years after all of that raging fury that comes to be redirected in a burning zeal to tell everybody the man I thought was an imposter is in fact the Lord willing to be the savior of anyone whether you're a part of Abraham's family line or not Jesus can turn anyone's life around 2nd Timothy 1 verse 3 I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience now don't you don't you know where we left Saul in Acts chapter 9? He wouldn't describe himself as clear. He, he wouldn't describe himself as, as clean. He would describe himself as a foolish sinner. In the sight of God. I, I thought and, and my conscience was driving me all the way in this direction. And I was sincere. But let me tell you, I was sincerely wrong. And yet, keep your hand there in 2 Timothy 1. Go back with me to Acts 9 verse 18. Acts 9, 18. Immediately when Ananias laid his hands on Saul... Immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he arose and was baptized. Baptized in the name of Jesus who he had believed was an imposter now understands this is the Lord. This is the Lord's anointed one that we've been waiting for. Taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed and said, Isn't this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem? Of those who called upon this name? He's not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength. He confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving Jesus was the anointed one. That's how he got turned around. Go back with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 
What sort of course from that point forward did he run? What sort of lane did he stay in? What sort of lines did he stay in in order to run the race that God, his Savior, would have him to run? Well, it was a race of sincere faith. You see that in 2 Timothy 1 verse 5? It's one of the things he appreciates about Timothy. It was something that Timothy's grandmother had. It was something that Timothy's mother had. It's something now that is all revolving around Jesus in Paul's heart. Back in Acts chapter 9 verse 26. Listen to the sincere faith that this man exercises. When he'd come to Jerusalem he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him. They didn't believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him. Brought him to the apostles. And declared to them how on the road Saul had seen the Lord. The Lord Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. What what was he preaching? He, He was preaching the pattern of the sound words in the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. That's the language that he uses in 2 Timothy chapter 1. That's exactly what Luke is describing for us in Acts 9 verse 31. The church throughout... All Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking, listen to this language, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. This man's life is turned around. There's a new goal. Sincere faith. Fueling the realization of that goal. That I might run for the rest of my life in a way that honors the Lord Jesus. The race has been defined. There's a pattern of sound words. One more time, let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 1. It's a spirit. What is it that is fueling this man to go for two years? 1,300 miles on one journey. Over the course of three years, 3,000 miles. Over the course of four years, more than 3,300 miles. What drives him to go all the way to Rome, knowing what awaits him there? It's a spirit. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. Not a fear. If Jesus is the Lord, if he's my Savior, if he's my King, if my faith is sincere and him, and he is in fact the King of all kings, what can man do to me? The worst that can happen is I cross the finish line. I take my last breath in this place and I go to be with Jesus for eternity. That's the spirit with which this man is running. Not of fear, but of power and love. Ready to share not only a message of love, but ready to share his very own self. Ready to serve as the best model, the best example. Helping young men like Timothy to serve as examples. This is what it looks like To run for Jesus. Well, what if not everybody obeys? What if along the way it gets really hard? What if people keep putting obstacles in your way and you can't see around the the next curve? Well, here's where it ends. 
I'm going to leave the rest in the hands of God. I'm going to run to the best of my ability. I'm going to run as hard and as fast as I possibly can. And I'm going to try and help as many people run in the right direction of sincere faith in Jesus as I possibly can get. And I'm going to leave the rest that I can't control in the hands of Almighty God. 2 Timothy 1 verse 12. I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. This is what changed the life of Saul of Tarsus. Input from heaven. The purpose and grace of a savior. A cleansed conscience. Sincere faith. A pattern of sound, healthy words. That show me how to run in the faith and love that are in Jesus. A spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control that, that sustains me even when the race gets difficult. And I'm not going to focus on the things I can't change or control. I know whom I have believed. About 30 years after those events in Acts 9, he writes this letter to young Timothy and he wants Timothy to understand, Timothy, this is the most important race you could ever run. Building your life on input from heaven. It's been preserved for us because this is what your life, this is what my life is to be all about. This is the purpose and grace of the God who created you and is willing to save you. Willing even this morning to wash your conscience clean. To teach you how to have sincere faith built on the pattern of the sound words delivered by Jesus Christ himself. So that you could walk out of this room not with a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Not knowing what tomorrow holds, not knowing what the next hour holds. But knowing whose you are. Knowing that in his hands, the best is yet to come. I, I don't know where your race has taken you this past week. There are undoubtedly aspects of your race throughout 2023 that very few people other than you and your creator know anything about. But here's what I do know. As you cross the finish line of life, this is, this is what you want to be able to say. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This man needed to have his eyes opened. And that's exactly what we're going to sing about together in just a, a moment. A, a prayer that God would open our eyes so that we can see Jesus. Maybe you walked into this room not with any sort of relationship with him at all. He can change your life. If he could change the life of Saul of Tarsus, 
He can change anybody's life. Grace, mercy, and peace from God can be true of you. But only if you recognize that Jesus is Lord. And if we can help you making that a reality in your life this morning, we would love to help. If we can pray with you or for you, that's why we're here. If you're ready to take the step that that man took in Damascus, rising, being baptized, washing away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord, this invitation song is for you. Would you let us know how we can help by coming to the front while we stand and sing together?